What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Kind of a late recording tonight. Uh, didn't get one out for the other channel the other night. Uh, yeah, life. <laughs> anyway, we're still on a better schedule than we were for like, you know, two months there. So baby steps. At least glue it right. At my first job, I worked at IT tech for a university. Typical issues included deployments, software installs, occasional warranty calls, etc. Simple. One day I had someone put in a ticket saying their right arrow key doesn't work. Kind of vague, but okay. Probably needs a keyboard replacement, so a warranty call should do the trick. I knew the user was using our standard issue laptop, and all of our laptops have premier warranty, so how hard can this be? Of course, to make a claim, I need to get some proof of how it's broken, so I paid the user a visit. I went there and I was not prepared for what I saw. User showed me their laptop and how the key doesn't work. And by that I mean user had hot glued the keycap back onto the keyboard after it fell off. <laughs> and the best part? They glued the keycap in the wrong direction. It went up, down, left, and left. I didn't say anything about the direction to the user, but did let them know hot gluing the key likely counts as deliberate damage to the laptop and would not qualify for warranty. I'm not sure who would be the one responsible for paying for the repair, but nonetheless, to let me know if they would like to proceed, and I would escalate to my supervisor. The user ended up not going for the repair, but I did get a good laugh with my coworkers. I gotta say, that's the first time I've ever heard of anybody hot gluing a key back on their keyboard. Um, yeah. I have replaced keys on uh, laptop keypads when the kids have ripped them off, when the cats have ripped them off, uh, when they've been dropped on the floor and the keys just magically fly off, and even me, just a simple old carpenter figured out how to put the keys back on. And even if they were broken, I could order new new springs and clips and stuff depending on what style they were, but yeah. Hot glue and a keyboard, bad combination. As the world turns, what is a day? Years ago, I faced a problem similar to what's described here by David Adams' author. Not sure what that was. I was asked to create a report that would indicate if a task was late or not. Based upon priority, tasks had to be completed within a certain number of days. At first, this was straightforward. Business days were the only thing that mattered. I excluded company holidays. They didn't count. I excluded weekends. They didn't count either. However, the concept of business days didn't consider that tasks could arrive at any time, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The actors were on call, too, at times, so handling work related to the tasks also could occur 24-7. Now let's do some basic math. Let's say a task is assigned at 8 a.m. and is finished at 3 p.m. the same day. How many days have passed? My patron told me one day. What if it was assigned at 8 a.m. and finished at 3 p.m. the next day? My patron says two days. How about assigned at 11 p.m. and finished at 3 a.m. the next day? So only four calendar hours have passed. Or even where an actor is assigned a task on a Saturday morning and completes it on Sunday evening. Would that be zero days, since neither of those are business days? My patron considers this and concludes we have to push the start time to 12.01 a.m. of the first business day after the task was assigned. Okie dokie. Now we have a simple formula. Clock starts at 12.01 a.m. on the first business day after the day the task was assigned. 
Clock ends at 11.59 p.m. the day the task was completed. If the day of completion is not a business day, the task ended on the last business day before the day of completion. If a task is completed in the same calculated within 24 hours of the start date slash time, that is one day. Beyond that, just count the business days. This was fairly straightforward to set up and validate, mostly. I do remember there was a discussion around what happens if the task is completed before the official clock begins. Is the day count zero? Should the eager beavers be rewarded? Or wouldn't that confuse leadership? However, we merged with another company that had an international presence, so now the relevant group had a lot of users in other countries. This introduced a lot of variation that I never truly solved. Each country had their own national holidays. When a day began and ended depended upon the rotation of the earth. So now a day depends upon the user's country. In theory, this was somewhat easy to account for. Each user had a home location, which included the country. Just use that and add the relevant days to a holiday table, which maps to the actor's home country. However, the actors performing the tasks could be in one country, and the consumers who received the outputs could be in another. Which perception of a day mattered here? My patron again simply stepped in. He concluded that the actor's perception mattered. He was darn helpful with these decisions. Okie dokie. At times there was collaboration between users. In some cases the task would begin in one country but end in another. Which day mattered here? My patron, after some thought, decided that we would have to switch to the consumer's perception of a day. Great. But which consumers? In many cases they were located in multiple countries too. After some more thought, my patron elected to return to the actor's perception, but retain the concept of a day aligned with the very first actor assigned to the task. This final arrangement prompted some consternation. There were protests from some actors. In some cases, a task was reassigned across countries so that the concept of a day meant the task would be late, through no fault of the person who it was reassigned to. That didn't seem fair. Some countries had a generous holiday, work hours, and leave policy. This meant that in terms of sheer calendar days, people in some countries could take longer on their tasks and still have them be on time. That didn't seem fair either. Finally, the consumers in some countries grew frustrated at how actors in other countries were more often late with their tasks, but they weren't late, at least not according to the metrics. How does that make sense? As time passed, see what I did there? I gradually moved away from working on this stuff. One of the last things I did was an analysis of cross-country collaboration and consumption. I concluded that more than 80% of the time the relevant tasks were primarily acted upon and consumed in the same country. So most of the time this was a non-issue. When I last talked with my patron, he consoled himself with that analysis. He decided that the gripes would never end no matter what he did, so we might as well stick with this arrangement. He kept the definition as is. I left as some new on-call policies were rolled out that called the definitions once again into question. I learned that some of the continental Europe's worker protections were a lot stronger than in the US. Apparently, you can't simply modify someone's role to, surprise, be on call like you can in the U.S. Conversations were just starting on how to revise them, and I never did learn what the result was. Okay, my head hurts just reading that. Um, yeah, I couldn't even imagine trying to figure that out. You know, what is your definition of a day? What's going to work so that everybody's happy? The bosses, the workers, the customers. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm used to working, you know, at least in country, if not regionally, so that, you know, our time zones are the same. And, you know, never mind the fact that we, most places here in the U.S. have daylight savings time still. Don't start on the daylight savings time. I understand. I still like it because I like the sun setting later in the summer. And I know it doesn't add to your day. It just makes the sun in the right place for when I decide to get up. Anyway, I probably would have hurt somebody before I even got close to coming up with a solution for that, but yeah.
Counterproductive pseudoscience. Head of HR contacts us saying her laptop keeps shutting down for no reason. Frequently, right in the middle of her doing things. I go to her office and sit down. Start typing away, moving the mouse around, wiggling the laptop, unplugging it and plugging it back in. But whatever I do, it just keeps going. I tell her to let me know if it happens again. I'll be waiting right down the hall. As soon as I sit down, she calls me to say it shut down again. <laughs> I find a time when I can take it to my cube for a while, and I just fire up every application I can, all at once. Load up large files, run load tests for an hour or so, still just fine. I take it back to her office and swap out the power adapter and dock. As soon as I get back to my cube, she contacts me to say it's shut down again. I'm at a loss. I figure I'll try swapping her hard drive into another laptop tomorrow. That night I'm laying in bed. I don't know why it came to my mind, but it suddenly struck me that these laptops use a magnet in the lid to detect when the lid is shut and trigger the system to go to sleep. I wonder. The next day, guess what? I go into her office and see she's wearing a beady bracelet. I ask if those are magnets. Yes, it's for their magical healing properties. I have her rest her wrists on the laptop. It goes to sleep. I explain that she has to not wear her magic bracelets while using the computer. Oh dear, I wouldn't even think about that. Yeah, there are people who love those magnetic bracelets. Uh, I don't know if they actually do anything, but if they make people feel better, then whatever. But yeah, if you're working on a piece of equipment that uh, reads a magnetic signal as uh, go to sleep, hibernate, whatever, yeah, that's not going to work. Fighting the extremely predatory database company. I can't really say much here because much of this is covered under NDAs, but every experience I've had with the extremely predatory database company has been terrible. But there is one I can share. In the early 2000s, we had a huge query that should have been independent. What? Indempotent? I don't know what that is. Hold on. Let's go to Google. Indempotence is the property of certain operations in mathematics and computer science whereby they can be applied multiple times without changing the results. Definition, examples, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, but every once in a while it was returning the wrong result. We couldn't figure it out, so we turned to extremely predatory database companies' tech support. We were paying for it, so we used it. However, we were using Red Hat Linux, something which was relatively new for extremely predatory database company at that time. We contacted extremely predatory database company and explained the issue sharing the query. They asked us what version of Red Hat we were running, and when we replied, they informed us that support was only available for Red Hat Advanced Server. F. So we spent a lot of time and money setting that up and moving our database to it. The problem still existed. We contacted Extremely Predatory Database Company and explained the issue, sharing the query. They asked us what version of Red Hat Advanced Server we were running, and when we replied, they informed us that support was only available for version X. I don't recall the number. F. So we spent a lot of time and money setting that up and moving our database to it. The problem still existed. We contacted Extremely Predatory Database Company and explained the issue, sharing the query. They asked us what version of Red Hat Advanced Server we were running when we replied. They informed us that support was only available for version X point release Y. Oh my gosh. F. So we spent a lot of time and money setting that up and moving our database to it. The problem still existed. We contacted Extremely Predatory Database Company and explained the issue sharing the query. They asked, us, they asked us what version of Red Hat Advanced Server we were running, and when we replied, they informed us that it was a known bug. F. So we spent a lot of time and money setting up PostgreSQL, and the problem went away. So, they don't have release notes where, like, you know, either you, someplace where you could read and say, hey, 
it only works with this version this release of this version or whatever or nobody on the phone or in emails or chat or whatever could tell you this like they had to wait until you installed what they told you to install and then say oh it's only for this model this version this release oh man that uh yeah any ideas on which predatory database company that would be i'm not i'm not really coming up with anything here so i don't know somebody will let me know down below i'm sure it's the unmentioned details that get you. Many years ago, I worked in an internal help desk slash call center. Our duties were fairly wide, and being on site, clients would often come and see us rather than calling. One of the jobs we did was a very simple servicing of mobile phones. This was back during the Nokia empire, and there wasn't much to them. Basically, if a phone wouldn't switch on, we'd clean the terminals with alcohol wipes. If the phone still didn't work, we'd give out a Frankenstein replacement from the stockpile of old, discarded phones cobbled together from whatever parts, battery, or handset that were working until a new replacement was ordered and arrived. One day, a mobile was handed in because it wouldn't switch on. I pulled the battery off, cleaned the copper, and tried to switch it on. Nothing. I contacted the client. She came down to pick up the temporary replacement. Whilst one was being retrieved, she mentioned that the phone hadn't switched on since she dropped it in the toilet. <laughs> I didn't proceed to figure out whether it was the battery, handset, or both which were broken for our spares. It was immediately bagged and thrown away. After that, I spent a good amount of time washing, cleaning, and disinfecting my hands, desk, keyboard, and phone which I'd used to call. I'm still not sure if the client was laughing at the idea of her toilet phone in the hands of IT or if she didn't even consider the situation. Oh, trust me. She didn't consider it. Nobody does. They don't think anything about it. They don't care. Nobody cares if you touch their poopy phones or pee phones, whatever. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's one of the hazards of the job, and it's why I will never touch anybody else's technology without uh, latex gloves and proper personal protection. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. I upload new episodes at least three times a week.